Welcome back to the G3 Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Bice, and today we're going to be looking at a controversial subject in the news that you need to be aware of, one that's going to have an impact upon you and your family and your local church. And that issue is the Equality Act. This bill, known as H.R. 5, we know it as the Equality Act, is a bill that's been looming on the horizon for a while now, and it's presently set to be passed by the Senate. It was one of the promises that Joe Biden made during his campaign, and true to his word, he's pushing it through the approval process as we speak. Now, if this bill is passed, and if it's codified into U.S. law, it will leave an indelible mark upon our society. Now, the reason for this controversy is because it's going to be federal law, and it will have an impact on the whole of our nation. Now, this bill will update the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and will apply pressure on various spheres of our culture that has remained protected under religious freedom, specifically the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993 to 1994. But we must not be fooled into thinking that this will not impact churches and private Christian schools at some level. In fact, it will have an impact upon the church in America. In this podcast today, I want to focus on one area of impact regarding the Equality Act. I want us to focus on this bill and how it will have an impact upon women in our culture. Now, as you know, March is Women's History Month, and we're hearing a lot about women's empowerment and the influence of women on our society. But with all of the liberals insisting that we must advocate for the rights of the LGBTQ community, is such a radical agenda made at the expense of women. Joining me today for this conversation is Allie Beth Stuckey. Allie is no stranger to the G3 community, but for those who might be new, she's an author, a speaker, a commentator, and the host of a great podcast known as Relatable, where she analyzes culture, news, and theology and politics from a Christian worldview. So Allie, welcome back to the G3 podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Allie, March is Women's History Month, and it's certainly appropriate to celebrate the accomplishments of many successful women of history. And as we read the Bible, we see how God has used many different women to further his plan of redemption and to help in the spread of the gospel of Jesus around the world. Allie, as we begin, I want to ask you a question. What women have impacted your life in the greatest way personally? Oh, goodness. Well, I would have to say what I think is true for most people whether they whether they know it consciously or not and whether it's been negative or positive and that is certainly my mom there are a lot of studies that show of course the importance of having a present father at home and the consequences of fatherlessness unfortunately we see that rampantly throughout society but the fact of the matter is is that people's worldview people's theology people's view of themselves and other and in other people, human nature in general, is predominantly influenced by their mom because typically, even in what is called a progressive society, uh, women are the caretakers. They're the ones that are home with their kids. They're the ones that are spending the most time with their kids. And I was blessed enough to have a stay-at-home mom who was very dedicated to us and very dedicated to the Lord and dedicated to our faith. And so she certainly had the greatest impact on me. And um, I am also incredibly blessed to have been helped. Uh, my, my grandmother helped raise me until I was 13. She lived with us and I had a very close relationship with her. Um, I have two older brothers. And so being the only girl I just kind of needed sometimes that refuge and both a mom and a grandmother and both of them just gave me so much 
confidence in who God made me and who I was called to be. And I don't know what I would do without those two influences in my life. Of course, there are authors, there are speakers, there are women who have amazing insight into theology. Um, but those two women, my mother and my grandmother, not just are just two women that affected my life. They're just two people in general who had an amazing effect on my life, my worldview and my faith. And so um, if anyone is listening who thinks, wow, you know, I need to do more, I need to get more followers or I need to be an influencer or a speaker in order to have an impact, maybe that's what God is calling you to, but do not minimize for one second the impact that you are having on future generations uh, just by being a, a wonderful mom and an influential grandmother because um, I just can't even quantify how grateful I am for them. What you said there is so important. How often do we overlook the value and importance of our mothers and grandmothers? In fact, we do this in our families, and we also do it in the life of the local church as well. I spent the last several years preaching through Romans and just recently finished the book, and I was struck by how many women are named by Paul in the final chapter, Romans 16, as he provides his final greetings and his commendations to families that he had contact with there in Rome. And as we look at that chapter, it's it's quite evident that God has a plan and a purpose to use women in a wonderful way, uh, not only in the individual families, but also in the life of the church as yes, well. definitely. And as March is Women's History Month, as it is often the case, progressives and liberals can take something that's intended for good and they can twist it in, into something that's devious. Talk to us about the danger of the women's empowerment agenda and how mothers should be paying attention to the language that's becoming normalized in our culture for them and their daughters regarding empowerment. Yes. So feminism has sent a lot of confusing messages throughout the decades. I think a lot of mythical messages, quite frankly, first built on this idea that women who stay at home, who are raising their kids and serving their husbands by uh, keeping the house, that they are just miserable, that they have been chained and oppressed uh, to this repressive role that is just ruining their lives and making them wallow in misery. The feminine mystique, kind of the the uh, feminist uh magnum opus for a lot of people or like the feminist Bible for a lot of people was based on this mythical description of what it was like to be a housewife and to be a stay-at-home mom. And unfortunately, that caricature of being a wife and a mom has uh, been held onto. It's carried throughout generations from the 1960s to today. This idea of being a wife and a mom is minimized. And even by the unfortunately, by people who are wives and moms, I, I call this toxic mommy culture. It's something that I see on social media a lot. And it's this idea that in order to really be happy as a wife and a mom, uh, you have to uh, pretend that they are, that your children are burdening you that in a way that you need to be free of. And so I see a lot of moms acting like they are victims of motherhood rather than blessed beneficiaries of motherhood and um, joking about how tiring and how exhausting, which of course we know those things are true, but also just how trying and how terrible and how monstrous it can be to be a mother. And it's all in the name of self-empowerment. It's all in the name of self-liberation. It's all in the name of self-sufficiency and self-care and self-love. 
um, this trend on social media of kind of talking badly about your kids or talking badly about being a wife and a mom. And so um, I think that that is one damaging effect to this idea of self-empowerment and this idea of the need of women, at least in America in 2021, to be released from the oppression of the patriarchy, that it actually just manifests itself in a lot of bitterness and resentment that, of course, is is not biblical. Um, and so I think that that is that's one thing that we need to be sure that we are wary of. One thing that we need to push away from is this idea that women need to be liberated from being wives and moms. That's just, it's just not true. Um, And also this release girls from this kind of victim mentality that I think has become so posh for a lot of different identity groups and American politics. Um, This idea that they have been trampled on by men or been trampled on by the patriarchy And the only way that they can lift themselves up is through a kind of um, a a kind of bitter grit that is going to help them become successful. Again, that kind of bitterness and resentment is not going to serve our girls well. It's going to create a lot of self-loathing and also loathing against other people, fellow image bearers who happen to be men. And so those are just two of the problems that I see in all of this. I think also one more that I wrote about in my book is this. Um, constant, this constant beating on the self-love drum, this idea that the key to happiness, the key to satisfaction, the key to fulfillment is just loving yourself more and doing what makes you happy. But the problem is the self can't be both the problem and the solution, men and women. But I would say, especially women, we deal with different kinds of comparison and insecurity and feeling inadequate. And we're told a hundred times over again, that all we have to do is feel good about ourselves and we'll be happy, but it's not working. We've been told that for years and we're still, the women are still depressed. We're still insecure. We're still finding ourselves miserable. We still feel like we're inadequate. And that's because we're looking in the wrong places for empowerment and fulfillment. They can't be found inside of ourselves. They can only be found in the God who created us. And so those are all, I think, damaging messages that can come from this. I think that the right way to look at something like Women's History Month is to say, wow, God, thank you so much for creating women with unique strength, with unique capabilities. Thank you for creating me a woman. Show me how to be the best woman of God that I can possibly be. Help me be more like you. Help me to fulfill all of the roles and responsibilities that you've given me. And thank you so much for making me in your image and making me unique and uh, help me use this uniqueness to glorify you. I think that's a wonderful way to celebrate women. And if that's what March is about, then I'm all on board. Allie, we are hearing much about equality through the social justice conversations and the agenda that's really impacting the whole of our culture. Presently, the Equality Act has passed in the House on February 25th, and it goes to the Senate next for consideration. Now, if it's approved, it will be federal law, which will govern the whole of our nation. Now, the language of the bill states that it will work to protect the LGBTQ community from discrimination. It's being postured as a civil rights issue. Can you take time to explain the Equality Act and what the stated purpose is for our nation? Yes. So the Equality Act, like most bills that are written by Republicans or Democrats, they sound really good. And of course, that is purposeful. You give a bill a name that sounds inarguable, and then anyone who is against it stands against 
the title of the bill. So if I say, yeah, I'm against the Equality Act, then it's very easy for people to say, oh, then you're against equality, you're, you're against equal rights, you're for discrimination, you're for institutionalized bigotry, whatever it is. Of course, that's a PR tactic. Both Republicans and Democrats do it. And that's true about this act. When they say Equality Act, they want you to think that you're just giving, giving everyone rights. And I think most people, whether they're conservative or liberal, would say, yeah, everyone should have rights. Whether or not I agree with their lifestyle, we all believe that we are um, covered by that statement in the Declaration of Independence that we have been given certain unalienable rights, among them being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, these rights were not given to us by the government. They're recognized by the Constitution, and therefore they cannot just be arbitrarily taken away. So, of course, we believe that for all different kinds of people of all different kinds of belief systems and lifestyles in the United States. The complication comes in when you have two competing rights or what seem like two competing rights anyway. Um, and the right to religious liberty, for example, um, which doesn't just mean that the government doesn't establish a religion, although it does mean that. It doesn't just mean that the government uh, can't tell you who to worship, which it does also mean that. Um, but it also means that you are able to live out your belief system um, in a way that is, um, you know, aligns with your integrity, aligns with your conscience, that if you run a business, you are able to run a Christian business. If you own a flower shop or you uh, own a photography company, that you are allowed to make decisions that are that are in line with your belief system, as long as you are not infringing upon the rights, the true rights of other people. The question is, what is actually a right. So a lot of people on the left would say that, for example, a gay couple has a right uh, to have their uh, have their wedding photographed by a particular photographer. Whereas conservatives would say, well, no, that's not an enshrined right. We don't see that anywhere in the Constitution. It's hard to even imply that from anything in the Constitution. Uh, you might have a right not to be discriminated against, you know, in, in general, um, but if someone is saying, if a photographer is saying, sure, like I'll, I'll shoot your, uh, I'll shoot some kind of photo shoot for you, but look, I'm just not gonna shoot a gay wedding because it's not in accordance with my beliefs. We believe because religious liberty is a right that that photographer should be able to make that decision. They didn't check their constitutional rights when they signed up to be a photographer. We've heard several different cases like this in which unfortunately, these uh, these photographers are different vendors with biblical views. They're almost targeted sometimes by activists, and then they're taken to court. So the Equality Act wants to make sure that you are not allowed, that you are not allowed to make those kinds of decisions if you run a business or if you're in charge of a school. You're uh, not allowed to make hiring decisions or service decisions that are based at all on your religious views of marriage or sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, and so they want to make sure the Civil Rights Act, which actually we could go into how the Supreme Court has kind of already done this, covers all forms of what we would call as Christians kind of the sexual revolution and the various sexual identities that now uh, that now exist. I think what they want is to make sure that um, for example, that that public schools are not allowed to fire someone, on the basis of gender identity, but I think they want that to extend as well 
to private schools. And there are some constitutional questions about whether or not religious schools are going to be able to get an exemption from that. But I think that we can see in the blueprint of this bill um, that they certainly would prefer that a Christian school is not allowed to only hire people who align with their Christian beliefs in marriage or who live in a way that align with their Christian beliefs on marriage and gender. Um, Same thing with students. They would like private schools as well as public schools to be able to or to be forced to allow boys who identify as girls into locker rooms, into bathrooms, into sports teams um, of their choice. And they really don't want to give any religious organizations any recourse whatsoever. And this is all in the name of non-discrimination. And so Uh, How you can look at this is really to ensure that there is no way for you to at least publicly, publicly live out the belief in biblical marriage, live out the belief in biblical sexuality and gender. Um, And it's the clever way to do that is to kind of redefine what is a right and what is a privilege to diminish the right of religious liberty in the in the name of elevating what they may call like sexual rights or gender rights or something like that. And I think we also see where the future could possibly go in different countries. I mean, we've seen this in Canada, we've seen it in the UK, we see legislation coming down the pipeline in Australia and in Scotland where this is even affecting people's private lives, trying to police speech, trying to Uh, police like pronoun usage. There are already laws that have been tried to be passed in places like California, that if you quote misgender someone, you could have to pay a fine. Uh, There are certainly laws around the world um, that are pushing for that kind of censorship. And then you are also seeing, unfortunately, teenagers who say that they're identifying as a different gender, say they're, they're 12, they have what they would call rapid onset gender dysphoria. But you know, there's a lot there as well, but that they are sometimes being removed from their parents' homes. The parents are having to go to court um, over this kind of stuff. We are seeing teachers in public schools being encouraged not to tell mom and dad that, hey, your child is going by a different name and different pronouns at school in a a variety of states, including Oregon in the United States. A young girl could walk into Planned Parenthood at the age of 15 without her parents consent and say i want testosterone and i want to transition into a boy and planned parenthood has absolutely no obligation whatsoever to tell the parents they don't need any consent or anything like that so all of that is already happening the equality act is just trying to enshrine it on a federal level to try to diminish any authority that the church has, any authority that parents have, any authority that any kind of faith leaders have in the area of sexuality and gender. And there are a lot of questions about the specific legal implications of that, the constitutional uh, recourse or protections, what the Supreme Court could rule. But the problem is we don't we don't want to have to take all of these cases to court. I mean, that's a, that's a, and they know that Democrats who are trying to pass that know that they know that they can pass it, even if it's not constitutional, even if it's eventually shut down, they can at least to try to grab as much power and influence as they possibly can. Um, but what it spells out is a lot of danger for churches, a lot of danger for religious liberty. Um, at the uh, in the name of the sexual revolution, and I think at the expense. Of, of women, girls, and children, especially. 
While all Christians look at the Equality Act as troubling on a biblical level based on the clear teaching of Scripture that points out that God created humanity with two specific genders, male and female, we likewise reject the idea of us as individuals having sovereignty over our created design. God is sovereign, and He created us as either male or female, and we have no right to alter that design. Furthermore, uh, as we look at the LGBTQ community, we can sense that they believe that they have a right to alter the design of human sexuality. And so we would reject that on the basis of the teachings of Holy Scripture. Now, Allie, the political leaders who are pushing this Equality Act are suggesting that it will level the playing field for this underprivileged class of people that are being discriminated against in our culture. Help us look at this Equality Act through the lens of a woman's perspective. Uh, In other words, will this bill harm women in our society? Well, here's what I think. If I'm, I'm very rarely optimistic about certain issues where it seems like the left seems to be, when I say winning, obviously you and I both know that ultimately this kind of craziness is not going to win. But in the short term, when it seems like they're gaining so much ground on things like abortion or things like gender or whatever it is, or things like socialism, socialized healthcare, and it's easy to get really worried on this particular issue, even though I do think it is a threat, I think that the so-called woke crowd, the gender identity activists have overplayed their hand. This is something that no matter your political uh, leanings is really difficult to get behind. Sure, you can just say, uh, you know, that the statement transgender rights are human rights, that might sound good and you could accept that, that of course you believe that they are entitled to human rights that again are inherent given to us by God. Uh, But when, if you ask someone, do you think that a boy should be able to race against a bunch of girls? Do you think they should be able to wrestle a girl? Do you think they should be able to play basketball? Do you think that a boy in every sense of the word, except for maybe his own declaration, do you think uh, that they should be able to go into a locker room with your 12-year-old girl or a bathroom with your 12-year-old girl? Most people, especially most parents, no matter their religion, no matter their political background, would say no. Heck no. And I would say that it would be, it's probably even more passionately no in, co- in, in countries other than America. I think tolerance of this kind of stuff and our fear of seeming intolerant about this kind of stuff has actually weakened us in a lot of areas that should be morally obvious. Um, but I think that the activists have overplayed their hands. I saw the ACLU, they came out with these five so-called myths about transgender um, girls. I always get the terminology confused. So biological boys playing sports against girls. And they tried to bust these myths by saying, you know, boys have no disadvantage over girls. Uh, They have no greater athletic ability. There is absolutely nothing wrong with this whatsoever. Of course, they didn't provide any citations, any scientific evidence, because everyone knows what we've always known for millennia, that boys have greater lung capacity, that they have greater bone density, greater anaerobic and and aerobic capacity. They have greater muscle mass. They are usually taller. Their brains work differently. Even their level of competitiveness and aggression, they are just different. And a few months or a year of estrogen, it doesn't actually change that. That's just a scientific 
fact, and I have all the compassion in the world for people who struggle with real gender dysphoria, which is a real, uh, it's a real mental struggle that a lot of people, that, I mean, not a lot of people, that very few people actually um, really have. But that doesn't mean that at the expense of the uh, of the confidence and competition and safety and protection of girls and women that we need to normalize and then mainstream that kind of mental suffering that some people are going through um, because we want to be progressive or because we want so-called equality. You're not going to be able to change biology. You can't change what science says. You can't change the DNA. Truth, whether it's moral truth or scientific truth, is like a beach ball. You can try to push it underwater for as long as you want to. It's going to keep on popping back up. I think that is true of this issue. Um, Once we see that girls are being constantly looked over for scholarships or that they are being seriously injured and unfortunately suffering concussions, which is something that we've already seen across the country, once we see that they can no longer win competitions that they were winning the year before, uh, I think that people are going to see from across the aisle, okay, this is crazy. This is crazy. People have a, I, I think that our capacity for crazy is reaching its limit believe it or not, when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, And especially if we're talking about biological men going into women's shelters, we're talking about them going into women's prisons, we're talking about all the private spaces that are private for a reason because women are more vulnerable than men and we're vulnerable to violence more than men are. Um, I think that people are going to wake up and see, okay, this this is insane, which is why I find myself you know, in common cause on this issue with people that don't agree with me on anything else that actually probably think that I am just this backwards, regressive, terrible person. Um, But radical feminists agree with me on on this. And I agree with them on this, that you have to have sex-based rights and sex-based protections. And men and women are different. Um, There are just too many contradictions in the transgender debate for most people to get on board with the madness that comes at the expense of the protection of girls. Yes, in fact, you mentioned the word insanity, and that's a great way to describe this bill. The name equality is actually inaccurate on many levels. For one, this bill will no longer allow women to play on an equal playing field in in the world of athletics. And it subjects many women to abuse in locker rooms or even shelters where you have you know, 200 pound men who are allowed access to the most private settings reserved for women. So how can this actually be considered equal? The reality is it's not. Ali, as we think about all of the the complexities of the, the politics surrounding the Equality Act, and as we consider the reality of God's design for women and for men specifically and their roles and responsibilities, Do you have any resources that you would like to encourage young mothers or young ladies to read regarding these issues, or that could be a help to them as they think through what it means to be a faithful woman who glorifies God in our present culture? Yes, gosh, I have so many wonderful resources. I actually have a page on my website you can go to, alibathstucky.com, that I just have a list of a ton of resources. But uh, one book that I've been recommending a lot recently is Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. Um, Her work has had an incredibly positive impact on me, especially when it comes to thinking through things 
like this. Um, I also think Ethics for a Brave New World by John Feinberg and Paul Feinberg is a wonderful reference book. I'm just warning you, it's a big book. It's not something that you read like a novel, but it talks about the biblical ethics surrounding things like homosexuality, birth control, IVF, and different things like that. Of course, I talk about a lot of these subjects on my podcast, Relatable. We've talked um, a lot about the sexual revolution. We've talked a lot and to a lot of people about uh, transgender activism and the implications of all of that. I, I write about this from a more theological perspective in, in my book, You're Not Enough and That's Okay. We talk about that this is the this is the logical conclusion of godlessness that when you no longer acknowledge a great moral lawgiver, you no longer acknowledge the supreme source of objective truth, that everything becomes arbitrary. When you exchange the God of scripture for the God of self, then of course, biology becomes something that doesn't really matter. And you get to decide based on your political and social whims, what you want to be true, even when it comes to a biological fact, like the gender binary of men and women. So those are just a few of the resources um, that I have read on this. But like I said, I do have a page. Uh, I have a page on my on my website about that. I have people on my podcast all the time. If a Josh on my podcast, and I always, I mean, they are typically very good people to follow about you know some of the crazy issues that are going on right now, especially this one. So um, yeah, I hope that's helpful. I'm always hoping to connect people who are hungry to learn to good resources, because thankfully there are a lot of very smart, very godly people talking about these issues right now. Well, Allie, thank you for joining us for this edition of the G3 Podcast. Thank you so much, Josh. Well, thank you for joining us for this edition of the G3 Podcast. We want to point you to our website. That's g3men.org. There you will be able to find archives of this very podcast as well as other important resources and articles that are published on a weekly basis. You will also find information related to our upcoming G3 National Conference that's going to be held September the 30th through October the 2nd in Atlanta. This year's theme is Biblical Christology, and you'll want to join us for this exciting conference. You'll be able to find out information about the speakers as well as hotel properties on our website. We look forward to seeing you with us this coming fall for the conference, but also as you make plans, you'll want to make sure that you arrive on Tuesday if possible. That way you can take part in the pre-conference on September 29th, and you'll want to find out more details about that. We're going to be releasing that information very soon. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. You'll see those announcements as they are released over the next few days. May God bless you. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next week on the G3 Podcast.